Here now the reading of God's holy word, 1 John chapter 1, inspired by his spirit, profitable for us. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. From 1 John chapter 1, may the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. Verses 1 through 4, we have Christ's person and his excellency and the apostolic message giving communion with him and joy. That which was from the beginning. Do you recall John 1 or Genesis 1? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. That's who he's talking about. From the beginning. Now, in verse 1, it also says, which we have heard. So not only was Christ this pre-existent one through whom all things were made, but he's also someone whose voice John had heard. John had seen him with his own eyes. He had gazed upon him, as he says, or looked upon him. That means to gaze intently at someone, to stare at them, you might say. And he says, our hands have handled of the word of life. Word of life is the divine nature of the Son of God. But you can't handle God, can you? You can't even see God. No one ever has, no one ever will, no one can. And yet, God in the flesh, we have handled him. We have seen him. We have heard his voice. He was a true and real man, in other words. He had a full human nature. He had a human body, a human voice, human flesh that could be touched. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, then, is one divine person in two distinct natures. He was and is fully God. He was from the beginning, and he's the word of life. He's fully man. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, looked upon him, and our hands have handled him. Let us adore the mystery of Christ, God in the flesh, the immortal 
became mortal so that he might die for the ungodly, those dead in sins, to give them everlasting life. This is the mystery of the gospel. This is good news for sinners. These are glories to ponder and grace to admire. Now he says that we have seen it in verse 2. The life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. Then the apostolic message, what did it focus on? Christ was God in the flesh. He took upon himself and manifested this life. He gave himself a sacrifice for sins as we shall see. And why did the apostles preach this message? Look at verse 3. He actually tells you the purpose. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Why? That ye also may have fellowship with us. There's the purpose clause. That ye might. God in sending the apostles designs to give fellowship and like precious faith, union and communion with Christ together with the apostles. We have the same goods that John the Apostle had in Christ. He had fellowship with Christ and with the Father, and that fellowship God designs to bring to the elect through the ministry of the Word. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Not merely a human companionship, not just a social club, but rather the divine, living, and true God. We have communion with him together with them. These things write we unto you, verse 4 tells us, that your joy may be full. Here's another purpose of scripture. Not merely to have communion with the true and living God, so that we may glorify him, but also so that we might enjoy the true and living God, fulfilling our chief purpose in life. Some people say that Christians or Christianity is a killjoy religion. Well, if your joy is to have your sin, yes, absolutely. We believe in killing sin. You must put off the old man and put on the new. But if you mean that actual solid joy that comes with knowing the true God, no, we are the only joyful religion. We're the only ones who have union and communion with God, our sins forgiven, Christ our head and all the benefits in him. Verses 5 through 10, we have God as light, and then the progress of sanctification, the forgiveness of our sins, and the peril of denying our darkness. Verse 5, here's the message. Here's the apostolic message. They heard it from God. They declared it to us. What is it? That God is light. That is the message that the apostles preached. And in him is no darkness at all. This is a form of Hebrew phrase. Often they'll say one thing positively, and then what will they do? Say it negatively. God is light, no darkness. Those are saying the same thing. But it's two ways for emphasis so that we grasp the importance of this point. There is no darkness at all in God. Now the word darkness, as contrasted with light generally refers to two things. One is moral evil, and the other would be a mental evil or a deficiency of understanding. God is light. He lacks no understanding of anything. He does no evil. Augustine in his comments on this verse says, In ourselves 
we are darkness. And only when enlightened by it, that is the light that God is, only when enlightened by it can we become light and not be put to confusion by it, but put confusion by ourselves. Who is he that is put to confusion by himself? He that knows himself to be a sinner. Who is he that by it is not put to confusion, but he who is enlightened? What is it to be enlightened? He that now sees himself to be darkened by sins and desires to be enlightened by it draws near to it. But thou shalt not be shamed by it if when thou shalt show thee thyself that thou art foul, thine own foulness shall displease thee that thou may perceive its beauty. That's the message that they sent. God is light and there's no darkness in him. Well, what does that mean about me? Darkness. It's exposed by the light. It confuses me and pushes me back away from myself. Why? So that I might come to the light for the forgiveness of my sins. We must confess our darkness. And he's going to deal with this in more detail in the succeeding verses. God's moral purity, wisdom, and holiness, his full understanding of all things are the gospel. God is light. That's the message of the gospel. First, it shows us our foulness. Then it shines to us the purity, the wisdom, and the holiness of Christ. And that is the remedy for our darkness. Christ is the light of the world. We are dead in our darkness. And that's the message that the apostles preached. Let us then see our own darkness so that we may look to the light even our Lord Jesus Christ and our faces will shine, the scriptures tell us. They looked to him and were radiant. Who did they look to? Even to Christ. So then there's a twofold light, isn't there? There's the light of the present gospel that we are darkness and we need light to be saved. Then there is the progressive gospel of sanctification. Walking in darkness versus walking in light. Notice verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This is the same as what James says, faith without works is dead. You may say, I have fellowship with him, but your walk will make the profession known or it will give it the lie. Walking in darkness, he says, makes your words lies. The profession of union with God Communion with God who is light itself, that profession in words will be proven by the deeds. Is the devil your Lord or is Christ your Lord? Do you walk in darkness? Then you have the devil for your Lord. Do you walk in light? Then you have Christ for your Lord. That's what he's setting before us. And again, notice the Hebrewism in verse 6. We lie and do not the truth. That's saying the same thing in two ways for emphasis. It's very important to understand. It's black and white. You either walk in the light or you walk in the darkness. You can't walk in the middle, in other words. There's no mixture of the two. It's either light or darkness. Then verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, who is that? even our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ our Lord walks in the light. He is upright. He is knowledge itself. He is truth itself. 
There he walked in obedience and was always doing what pleased his father. He did not walk in ignorance of God, in disobedience to his blessed will revealed in the Holy Scriptures, God's knowledge and holiness shining upon us, that is the Christian life, walking in light. And if we do so, he says, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. We are members, Paul says, of one another, aren't we? We're united to a common head, even our Savior Christ. He is the head of the church. We are his body. So if we have fellowship with the head, we also have fellowship with one another, he says. We hold these things in common. And furthermore, he says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. Here, notice, we united by faith to a common head, walk together in a common light, have fellowship with one another. This is the church. This is God's design for the church. If we say we have no sin, and this is the present tense, right now, if I make this claim that I have no present sin, if I have such a conceit of my own righteousness that I'm not willing to acknowledge to God, I might acknowledge to men that I'm a sinner, because they might think I'm arrogant if I don't. But if I'm not willing to acknowledge to God that I'm a sinner, well, what do I have? If we say such a thing, all I have is self-deception. And the truth is not in us, he says. Again, this is a doubling for emphasis. Deceive yourself, no truth in you. Same thing. You've deceived yourself. Why? Because your narrative has to stand. God says you're a sinner and you have sin right now. And you say, no, I don't. I'm actually a righteous person. You don't understand the pressures that I'm under. If I ever do things I shouldn't, it's only because I have to. No, that's saying you have no sin. I have no current transgression of the law of God. I'm not really that bad of a person. You can only get to that point by self-deception. Your narrative stands, the word of God goes aside. And so we make God out to be a liar even. On the inverse, if we say that we have sinned, the truth is in us. If we confess, if we acknowledge our sins, if we say to God what he says about our deeds, rather than covering and backfilling as we saw with the Israelites. If we confess our sins, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, to confess is to say the same. What is it that God says about this deed? Well, I'm going to say the same. And let's illustrate that with Israel. What did God say they should have done with those who didn't come up to war? Well, he said, release them. Don't force them to come. So they should have confessed, we have violated your commandments to such an extent that we said, we're going to kill anybody who doesn't come up. Okay, that's a sin to take that oath. Then it's a sin to fulfill that oath and to murder those people. Then it's a sin to steal their daughters and take them off to the tribe of Benjamin. You see all the sins that they should have been saying, God, these are the sins we've committed. But what did they do? We have no sin. We can all go home now. We did a great job, took care of business. Everything's handled. No, 
We must confess our sins, name them as God names them. We have sinned, they could have said, by making a rash vow. We have not listened to the law of God. They could have named the actual sins they committed, but instead they just say, we're so sad a tribe's about to be wiped out. Let's commit some more sins in order to repent of that. And if God hears a genuine confession of sins, an actual acknowledgement of the evil that we've done, what's he going to say? Well, I'm done with you now. Is that what he's going to say? No, it says that God is faithful. You know what faithfulness is? It's where you can rely on somebody to do what they say. If they make a promise to you, they're going to keep their promise. If God promises confession of sins is followed by forgiveness, you think he's going to fail on that promise? No, he will keep that promise. And furthermore, not only is God faithful, he's also just to forgive us. Is there a legal ground of justice on which God can forgive sins? Yes. Not merely his promise of his will, but the price paid by his son. God is just to forgive us our sins. He justly applies the payment to that debt incurred by his people, paid by his son. Let us learn God's law of light. That's how we learn what we should be confessing. If we are ignorant of God's commandments, do you think we're going to know when we're violating his commandments? Of course not. We're going to be ignorant. We're going to think our virtues are vices and our vices are virtues. It'll be upside down. It'll be backwards. But if we know what God says is a sin, then we can say, this is a sin, Lord. I should not have done this. I know this displeases you. Let us learn God's law of light. It sheds light on our darkness. Let us tear down and burn to the ground our narrative of self-righteousness because you know that's what keeps us from confessing our sins. I'm a good person. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. I do the right thing. So if I'm confronted with some sin that I've committed, what's the first response? No, that's why I'm right. You see, I do good all the time. We're not going to tell ourselves this. We're not going to say it out loud. This is the thought of our heart. This is why we defend our sins. We must learn to confess our sins, get rid of the narrative that you're a good person, can acknowledge what God says is sin. Augustine again, this do the ungodly and insane. I know indeed that I am righteous, but what shall I say before men? If I shall call myself righteous, who will bear it? Who will tolerate? Let my righteousness be known unto God. I, however, will say that I am a sinner, but only that I may not be found odious for arrogancy. He goes on, if you don't tell God what you are, God condemns what he shall find in you. Would you not that he condemn you? Then condemn yourself, he says. We must learn to condemn ourselves, to confess our sins, to know what it is that God requires of us in his law so that we not be in this condition, well, I have no sins to confess. It's not, you know, maybe I have some general sins. There's nothing specific I can think of. I'm, I'm a good person. If we say that we have not sinned, here is the perfect tense, not the present possession of a sin, but these past sins that yield their fruit today. We make him a liar 
and his word is not in us. See the evil entailed in self-righteousness? Men will condemn God to justify themselves. And this is what self-righteousness always does. If we would vindicate and justify God, we must condemn ourselves. If we would justify ourselves, we must condemn God. He says, you make him a liar. You're saying God's not telling the truth about you because he tells us universally about ourselves. And if you believe such a thing, is the doctrine that God delivers in Scripture inside of you? Of course it's not. His word is not in you. God cannot lie, and we're going to make him out as a liar. This is where our pitiful self-righteousness will take us. That's why you have to burn it down. That's why you have to destroy that idol. That's why you must tear it down. Because it's going to turn you into a blasphemer and a Satanist, calling God a liar. No, we must confess our own sins. Let us learn to condemn and to judge ourselves rather than to flatter and justify ourselves. Let us take God's light into ourselves to confuse our darkness so that we can confess it to God and look to Christ for forgiveness. And thus far, the exposition of 1 John chapter 1.